Linda handed me these little green things that stick to it so I won't be licking my fingers. But she just thinks that's the scripture I'm going to use. <laughs> it may be close. I wrote it down. So. They say, they say a lot, don't they? They say that the most recognized logo, you know, you have people on Madison Avenue for different businesses, they try to make a, a logo, an emblem, that as soon as you see that logo, you'll recognize what company it is or the product they sell, uh, that you'll, you'll know it right away. They say the most recognized, familiar logo in the world, anybody want to guess? Golden Arches of McDonald's. I'm serious. The Golden Arches of McDonald's. I know that there are some uh, extreme Calvinists, hyper-Calvinists, and people who don't think you ought to have any kind of a cross at all, that that is a graven image. No, 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 no. A graven image is something that you would pray to, that you would give deity to, that you would uh, expect a response from. Uh, we do not pray to the cross. If you do, you need to go back and realize what the cross was all about. But I wore, I've wore a cross around my neck, outside my shirt for many years, haven't I, Linda? And uh, if you notice the cross I wear doesn't have Jesus on it. Usually if you see a cross with Jesus on it, that's a Catholic church, but uh, or a Catholic individual. But I... Uh, I wear a cross that uh, does not have Jesus on there because that represents the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I am proud. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I don't know why you wear a cross. That, that's, a, that's a sign of execution. You might as well just wear an electric chair around your neck. Well, if Jesus died on an electric chair, I'd have one. But he didn't. He died on the cross. He purchased my salvation. I don't think a lot of people realize... R.C. Sproul wrote a nice little book. I'd encourage everybody to read it. That talks about the cross. We, we So many times we think of the cross as, yeah, that's, that's a place of dying. But you, we need to realize what, as much as we can comprehend, what that cross really meant and what it represented for our eternal life. And I, I know you're thinking, well, Vic, I know that. It means Jesus died. Or none, but it's far deeper than that. Far deeper than that. The scripture I read this morning in Genesis 3, where it says, uh, the prophecy about uh, after the fall, it said that the Messiah, the Son, will crush Satan's head, but he will bruise his heel. That was talking about his death on the cross. Even back then, at the beginning of time, at the fall, the Lord God Almighty had a plan to redeem His children. We know that John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us. God knew before, according to Ephesians first chapter, He knew before the foundation of the world who was going to be saved and who would not be saved. Some people say, well, that's, that's foreknowledge. That's all in accordance to God's plan. God knew what was going to happen because God knows everything. 
And so many times people say, well, I just don't deserve all these things that are happening to me. And I tell you, right now, when you think of uh, what's going on in the United States and what could happen, there's no way we could ever say, the unit of America don't deserve this, could we? Because when you look in Romans, the first chapter, it gives a whole list of the degeneration of mankind. It gets to the point where homosexuality is tolerated and that uh, evil will be rampant. In fact, it lists everything that is acceptable in our society now. And according to Romans chapter 1, verse 28, God's Word says, Therefore he hath turned him over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And I think that's what's wrong with America. Because we have, we, we kill millions of unborn babies. Just about every television show you watch now, they've, they have worked and strived to make homosexuality acceptable. And all these things that are spelled out in Romans, the first chapter, God has turned us over to a reprobate mind. I think that's why we Christians, when we see this past election, we think, how could anybody in their right mind vote for somebody that stands for the things that that man believes? You know, that's the, the answer is right within the question. They're not in their right mind. The closer you are to the Lord God Almighty, the more sanity you have. And therefore, the reprobate mind can't see. And in fact, they think we're crazy. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 2 it says, We are a peculiar people. The world looks at us like we walk upside down. You know why? Because we have the mind of Christ that He may instruct us. They don't. They've been turned over to a reprobate mind. If you have your Bibles with you, Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 33. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am to come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And I want you to take a particular note of verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. May God bless that reading here into our hearts. Let's have just a moment's word of prayer. Father, again, we come into your holy presence and pray that you would guide us in your holy word and your instruction and that God the Holy Spirit would open our hearts, minds, and beings to be touched by the teachings of God. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, Amen and Amen. The way of the cross leads home. It, uh, it often amazes me uh, how so many people don't have any respect for what that cross stands for. How many times I was watching a little bit of the uh, 2020 uh, induction of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, <laughs> that was the most pitiful one I've ever seen. But uh, it had uh, Mark, I can't think of his last name, of the group T-Rex, a very vile human being. He, he's dead, and he, here he's wearing a cross around his neck and everything. And I don't know if you realize this, some of you may, but in the 60s, people would take the cross they wore around their neck to snort cocaine off of. Did you know that? I guess you did. My sister better went no. <laughs> but uh, it's a, to some people, it's just an ornament. It's just an ornament. 
But that cross means the difference between life and death, literally. Paul, according to Philippians chapter 4, studied at the feet of Gamaliel. That's like saying that you had studied under the most brilliant professor of all time. Paul was a brilliant man. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. But I want you to look what he said over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Then that works pretty good like that. So far I hadn't had to lick nothing. So. Huh? Get you some? I just saw you lick your finger. Don't nobody shake his hand. <laughs> Slow down. You move too fast. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. This is what Paul said. Brilliant theologian as he was. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, this is a little bit of hyperbole, what they call hyperbole on Paul's part. For example, if, I, I t if Linda uh, gets on me about something or other, and I might look at her and say, Linda, I know you've told me a million times. Well, it's not that she's literally told me a million times. It's just hyperbole to say, yeah, you've got it over and over. Matt was telling the other night. If you want to know what mine and Linda's life is a lot like, watch uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. And there's one scene there. It's just, have you all ever seen the episode where there's a suitcase at the bottom of the stairs and he wasn't going to take it until she touched it and vice versa? We've done that. We have done that. And I never will forget I'm bad to let clothes pile up on exercise equipment, stuff like that. Sometimes fall on the floor. Well, one time we got into a situation where she said, I want you to know I am not picking your clothes up. I said, I don't care. I'll step over. She said, I'm telling you, they'll just pile up. I said, no problem, just reflection on your housekeeping, not me. Boy, when I said that, she went straight up and turned left. It got picked up. She's little, but she's strong. So when Paul says here, I plan to know nothing unto you but Christ and Him crucified, what he's saying is that's the most important thing. Most important thing is Christ and Him crucified. There was a man in around the year 1056. His name was Anselm of Canterbury, a fantastic theologian. He utilized a lot of the teachings by St. Augustine. Oh, if you're talking to somebody and you use the name St. Augustine, if they went to seminary, if you want to try to impress them, say, St. Augustine. It'll, it'll, you know, it just, they think, oh, you know something. No, you're an idiot. But anyway, Anselm had uh, embraced a lot of the theological teachings of St. Augustine. And one of the things that he, Anselm, had talked about is that the cross is so important because it represents debt, it represents enmity, and it represents satisfaction satisfaction. Let me explain to you the best way to understand. Okay, when you think of the world, the word authorize or authority, and we see that in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, go ye therefore 
where he says all power is given unto me, what he's saying is all authority. Now you think about the word authority. Do you know what the root word of authority is? Author. Author. Which means the one that has authority is the one who created. If Since God has authority over his creation, now listen to this. Every one of you is a creation of God. He is the author and a finisher of your faith. He is the author. You belong to Him. This world is my Father's world. Everything in it, He created. So therefore, as God's Word says in Corinthians, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. You are property of God. Now, since this world belongs to God, and we, the people in this world, belong to God, He is the author. He has the authority. Having the, being author and having the authority means that He can lay down the laws of His creation the way He wants it to be. Amen? So therefore, any time His laws or His way is had sin committed against, or the opposite has been happened to it, what happens at that point, it don't matter how big the sin is. You see, there's no such thing as little white lies. You know, so many times we look at somebody and say, well, they're just a teenager, and that's... Ex no. No, God, this is His world, we're His creation. There's a certain way that He wanted it. Now, here's the thing about the certain way He wanted it. Nobody can do it. For we have all sinned to come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So since God is perfect and we are His creation, and in His creation He has laws and commands and demands, and the first time we sin, it don't matter what the sin was, we committed a crime. You got that? We committed a crime against God and His creation. And since we have committed a crime, then we owe a debt. You got that? We owe a debt. In fact, we see that in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our what? Debts, as we forgive our debtors. So we are debtors to righteousness. This is His world. We are the sheep of His pasture. We are His creation. He says, here's the way I want you to act. And when you don't do that, you broke the law. You are a criminal. You have committed a crime. And therefore, you are a debtor. Now, the wonderful thing, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus is a mediator. For example, if you have two groups who are fighting, Maybe even a husband or wife would have to go to mediation. You have somebody who stands in the gap. Look over here at Romans chapter 8, if you would, please. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For they that are after the, spirit, after the flesh, rather, 
do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because of a carnal mind, I want you to look at this word here. Because the carnal mind is what? Enmity. Do you know what that means? Against God it means at war. You see, when we have committed the crime against God's law of command, which all sin is at, then at that point, we are at variance. We are at war with God. You know why? Because when we sin, it's like saying, I know what you want, but I don't want to do that. Therefore, I will ignore the pleading and the drawing of the Holy Spirit, and I will be in rebellion, and rebellion is the same thing as witchcraft. Therefore, I am at war with God. The sin, the crime, the debt is enmity. It means that we are at war with God. Verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And those, therefore, we have committed the crime, and we owe a debt. Now, let me explain something to you. Let's say, for example, that uh, I, I go to, to Jason here, and I say, Jason, I need $10,000. Will you loan me $10,000? Now, being as wealthy as he is, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't matter, you know. So he says, sure, I'll loan you uh, $10,000. And so I agree to the terms uh, that he would loan me $10,000. All of a sudden, I wake up one morning and I realize I can't pay it. I don't have the money to pay him back $10,000. But then all of a sudden, my sister Linda says, look, I'll... I'll pay the $10,000. So she goes and pays, pays Jason the $10,000, and I have absolved for it. Even though I didn't pay it, it, the, it was paid. Somebody else paid it. It's paid in full. Now let's take that same scenario and say, okay, I owe him $10,000, but I break into his house and steal $10,000. All right? So I break into his house and steal $10,000, and the police come, and they take fingerprints and all that, they, they come to my house, they know who did it, they knock on my door and said, uh, you're under arrest, and uh, they haul me in, and, and at that point I say, oh, look, I've got the money, I'll give him all the money back, I'll give him all the money back, or perhaps I spent some of it, and I said, give him most of the money back. At that point, it's out of Jason's hands, he can't say, well, okay, then just, just go ahead and forget it, he gave me back $10,000, no, because I broke the law, do you see that? I broke a law. Now, there has to be a satisfaction to that debt, to the lawmaker. You follow me? There has to be a satisfaction given to the lawmaker. When we've sinned, we did a crime. We owed a debt. We are at war with God because of our rebellion. But Jesus Christ, being our mediator, did this. I'll pay the debt. Just like I said, Sister Linda said, hey, I'll pay the debt. Jesus said, I'll pay the debt. Now, somewhere before the foundation of the world, God and the Father and the Holy Spirit made this understanding. Because, you see, just because someone says, I'll pay for it, it is left up to the one who has been, been harmed or, or the crime has been against to decide whether he will accept the payment or not. It's up to him to, to decide. Somewhere in time, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed that they would accept the terms of satisfaction, which was the life 
of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, when we sin, we are debtors. We are in enmity with God. And the only satisfaction is he that knew, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he who knew not sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So God the Father accepted the terms of the payment. You see, God's Word tells us in Hebrews 7.22 that Jesus became our surety. Do you know what that means? It's like, for example, if we had that indebtedness, for, for, go back to again where I borrowed the $10,000 from you, Jason. You may have required a cosigner. That's what's called the surety. Jesus became our cosigner to the debt. And if you become the cosigner to the debt, you might be at church one night and get a phone call saying, we're going to turn it in on your credit because your son did not pay his bills. Remember that night? Well, I was here. I remember it. I'd forgotten I'd co-signed. So I had the next day. But that's anyway, that's personal. I'll, I'll, I'll straighten you out later. Long time ago. Oh, yeah, it was a long time ago. He was a teenager then, but nevertheless, he learned something about finances. So anyway, if you owe a debt and you've co-signed, if, if the person that you co-signed for can't pay it, guess who pays it? The co-signer. Jesus was our co-signer. And so when the debt was due... Jesus was the only one who could pay the indebtedness. And because the Father accepted the terms, we can walk away free. I don't know about you, but that just tickles me to no end. But it come at a high cost. It come at the cost that went way back in Genesis 3, where it says the devil will bruise the Messiah's heel. Jesus had to suffer. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And according to Isaiah 53, every stripe that went across his back is because of a sin you did and I did. The walking down the Via Della Rosa carrying that cross was prophesied way back in the Old Testament because of everything you did and I did. When they laid him on that cross and tucked those nails, put his hand, it wasn't for anything he did. He was paying the debt that you incurred. And he hung there for six and a half hours and died the most excruciating death of all time. And then at the very end, before he died, he said, to tell us die. You know what that means? He meant it's paid. Wow. <laughs> it's paid. Something he owed? Oh, no, 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 no. It's something that Vic owed. That he couldn't pay. But Jesus said, it's paid. And that's why I can say that I am free. I am free. I am free. Sin cannot have dominion over me. Death, hell, and the grave, according to 1 Corinthians 15, cannot hold me. And that as God's word says, whom he has set free is free indeed. Amen? Nothing else needs to be said. Let's stand if you would, please.
Father, in the name of Jesus, we come into your holy presence. It's so overwhelming to know that you loved us so much. That because this is your world, the way you created it, we violated your creation, your command. But you didn't give up on us. You still loved us so much that you made a plan that our debt would be paid and satisfaction would be made. And that is through God incarnate, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To be a good God, to be a good judge, you must judge righteously. And therefore we can say, indeed, Lord, we are guilty. So thank you now and for all eternity that you sought us and bought us by your redeeming blood. Father, I pray if anyone here today does not know you as the Lord and Savior of their life, if they don't understand what the cross was about, that the cross was satisfaction, that the cross was a debt paid, that the cross is the bridge to eternity. Today, pray this prayer I'm about to pray. Dear Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and save me. I receive you as my Lord and my God and my personal Savior. Holy Spirit, please fill me to overflowing. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, while uh, Jeannie's playing this invitation, please come to the front of the church.